Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartzman, and I'm here with my co-host, Laura Chambaker and Bianca Bramham. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hey. Hi. Here at Jackie Winter, our roles put us right in the center of the action, in between client and creative, so we get to see all sides of the process. Every week, we come together in the brick pizza oven that is our recording studio and dissect three different links we've come across during our recent... What is sorry. happening? I, every time I think of anything remotely like Italian-related, I just think of that, that Kanye tweet about the disc record. I will never, oh, make, I a will never make a disc record. <laughs> Oh, the greatest tweet of all time. The, the greatest tweet of all time. That's going to stay in. We'll use these as a jumping point to look at what's shaping the issues, processes, and happenings across the creative industries today. This week, it's the 12th and final episode of our, oh my God, fifth season. Amazing. And to cap things off, we're doing something a bit different today, taking you behind the velvet rope and introducing you to our latest venture, Corvid. We'll talk about what it is, how we got here, what we hope to do with it. And don't worry, though, we haven't forgotten about our dear open tab. So to round things out, we're also going to be doing a bit of a stock take and discussing the role of agents and producers in today's creative landscape, the changing nature of representation, and how we and Jackie Winter are dealing with it. As we do once a month, we're taking the world's most expensive taxi ride to New York, where we are joined by North American managing agent and producer Bianca Bramham. Bianca, you showed us on Slack the other day. Someone actually called an Uber from New York and said it was coming from Australia. Is that right? That, it was so weird. I was with my friend and we were chatting a lot about Australia because she she's American and she had a oh, – actually, she's Canadian. But she has a, a bunch of friends that have met Australians and moved to Australia. So we spent like a good half an hour talking about Australia. And then we parted ways and I went to a party and she went to another party and she messaged me this screenshot of her lift. And she's like, this is so weird, but my lift – thinks it's taking me to Australia and it's only going to take two hours or something like that. And I don't know whether it was one of those weird things where the phone had been like listening to us and somehow it put the destination of Australia, but I don't know. She got where she needed to go, which was like the Lower East Side. So who knows? I mean, to be honest though, the Lower East Side is full of so many Australian, like there was just like another Australian cafe that just popped up in like in the Lower East Side. So it's kind of, yeah, it is like little Australia. So maybe that's just what it meant. I don't know. How are you otherwise? I'm good. It's God, it's busy, but I'm really excited to finally be able to talk about a lot of the projects that we've been working away, uh, plugging away in the background at. And I'm even more excited because I'm leaving you guys for a week and I'm going on vacation on Saturday. You to Aruba. Aruba. Yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> Already said it three times to be in the last month. <laughs> Laura, how are you going? I was good until a bird got into my house this morning and shat all over my couch. But um, other than that, you know, pretty regular, pretty regular Friday over here. How are you doing, Jeremy? Yes, it was a challenging morning. I got stuck in a parking lot and I'm still kind of just <laughs> dealing with the emotional fallout there. So, yeah. You're was... actually still stuck there. We're recording this remotely. <laughs> Jeremy lives there now. Emotionally, yes, yeah. in, in many ways. <laughs> It's funny because we're actually recording this before it launches, but it's going to be, this podcast is getting released actually after the launch. So we have to hope that everything's kind of, you know, went well and, you know, is <laughs> out there in the world. Burn the place down, <laughs> never look back. So yeah, basically earlier this week, the day finally arrived, we unveiled our latest venture, Corvid, to the world. So if you've listened to this podcast, following our socials in any of the other areas, you may have heard us kind of talking or hinting about the stuff we've been working on for what feels like quite a while now. And actually, there's other, there's a few other announcements that we're going to be making kind of in the coming months that we're also very excited about. So, you know, lots of firing on different cylinders, but, you know, stay tuned there. But right now it's time to focus on this first exciting thing. And 
it's such an enormous relief to finally be able to share what has been a huge labor of love for the entire Jackie Winter family, and especially for our team of collaborators at BFF, our digital and design partners who have been instrumental in this process. And like for me, it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys remember this, but like if you're an Apple fanboy like me, you know, everyone was waiting for the original kind of iPhone to come out. And then Steve Jobs came out and did an announcement. It was the Motorola rocker phone. And it was like, that was going to be, it was like, you know, just a Motorola phone that had kind of iTunes on it. And you could tell he was like, you know, really depressed about the announcement and it was a total bomb then the iphone came and so this is like i kind of feel like you know there's a lot of eyes on us i hope there's a lot of eyes on us in terms of obviously not as many as apple or anything like that but you know this is something that i'm really kind of hoping While works out apple well i am wearing an apple like t-shirt you're in a steve jobs uh, so yeah like you know i um, i hope this is our iphone and not our rocker but i guess time will tell <laughs> but look it's been a huge eye-opening experience for me on so many levels so we thought the stars really aligned with the timings of this launch and this episode so we're going to talk a bit more about you know what happened here behind the scenes to get us to this point hopefully it will be of interest to some of you and also just kind of explain the idea obviously this is a bit of a marketing platform for us as well but yeah we think there's some interesting stuff to kind of get through um look before i wrap it up any further though we should probably again explain what Corvid actually is of course you can now pause the podcast now you can head online to corv.id that's c o rv.id and read about it there. But look, why not get it straight from us? So Lara, in addition to being my trusted partner on this podcast, along with Bianca and everyone else, you've been instrumental in bringing this project to life in many ways. So look, Corvid has definitely been a team effort. Obviously, we've all brought a lot kind of to it, but you particularly have some very unique insight because you've done a lot of work kind of really writing the copy together with myself and the team at BFF. So perhaps get us started. Give us a breakdown of what Corvid actually is. What is COVID? So you mean this thing that's like taken over my life completely for the last six months? Yes, that yes, thing. that thing. Oh my God. I am so happy to be finally talking about COVID with you guys because it has felt really weird, like working on something totally all consuming, but not really being able to discuss it like outside of our little, you know, walls here. And I have a ton of questions that I want to ask you, Jeremy, so that everyone can hear a bit more about this crazy roller coaster ride that, you know, setting up a new business has been. But for any of that to make sense, yes, uh, you're right. We, of course, need to explain what the hell it actually is. So, Corvid, in essence, is basically a total reversal of the traditional artist representation model. So on the one end, we have our Jackie Winter roster, where we formally represent a curated selection of top-level artists, as we always have and, and continue to do. And now on the other end, we have this brand new thing where we've inverted the system and we're representing producers. So you've got this team of specialist commercial art producers who have, you know, collectively negotiated and produced thousands upon thousands of projects. And now they're available to provide on-demand production services to unrepresented artists. So basically, it's just this entirely new way of catering to a much broader spectrum of artists and hopefully expanding on our mission here to really do what we can to promote a healthy and thriving creative industry for all sorts of freelance art professionals, you know, artists and producers alike. So to give everyone a quick overview, basically, COVID comes in three different sizes. There's COVID Community, COVID Consult, COVID Companion. Yes, naming those things <laughs> gave us a lot of pain, uh, but we're happy with where they are. Please don't give us any feedback. Um, <laughs> COVID community. Um, I'll start there. So COVID community is a curated subscription-based Slack space. It's designed specifically 
for freelance artists. And it's meant to be more than just a place to hang out with each other, though. It's like it's a place for freelancers in this visual artist realm who understand each other and can share their knowledge. And through this Slack space, we're running these things like uh, weekly AMAs with industry legends in art, production, client side, et cetera. We're providing fake briefs for people to practice and get feedback on. We're sharing all sorts of professional development stuff, like the stuff that we regularly share around our personal Jackie Winter Slack channels and all sorts of other bits and pieces. And the whole thing is moderated by our team of producers here. And I'm I'm going to be responsible for the AMA section. I'm super excited. And then, okay, in the middle level, we've got Corvid Consult. So this is that sort of middle tier, really. And what we've done is we've taken the key things that we get asked for help with over and over and over again, the things that we can clearly see that freelance artists need more support with, but aren't really able to get in any formal or or trusted way anywhere else. And we've come up with a way for them to basically book time with a producer to get those questions answered. So there are four key services. There's uh, pricing guidance. So help with what to quote in a job, how to manage license options and, and so on. That's a big one. Follow your reviews and career advice contract reviews, which are handled by our amazing legal partners at Media Arts Lawyers, and project and client management advice, which is kind of all that stressful stuff that comes up while you're on a job, like handling uh, tricky client requests or managing conflict or bringing in third-party suppliers or whatever else. And each of these things can basically be booked in, you know, you can make an appointment with a producer and we'll review the whole situation and then talk you through it. And then finally, at the top, there is COVID Companion. This is head-to-toe project management on demand for freelance artists. So, you know, you get a project inquiry that you'd like some help with and you can run the project through us in the same way someone else might do in a traditional agent relationship. And we can sort of handle every part of the client management and negotiation process directly with the client on your behalf. So you, being the artist, can focus, you know, purely on making great artwork while we handle the other tricky stuff. So it's right from the beginning, fleshing out all of the information you actually need to put a good quote together, then actually putting that quote together, negotiating the terms of the contract. And then of course, full project management while the project's in action. So staying on top of the timings, revisions, any challenges that might come up, communicating with the client throughout. And then finally, handling all of the invoicing and chasing up payments and final art and permission to share the work, all of that fun stuff that comes with commercial projects. So again, just to reiterate, I guess like on the one hand, you've got our Jackie Winter roster of represented artists that we sort of actively and fiercely promote and represent on a longer term basis. And then catering to the other end of the spectrum, people who for whatever reason don't have or don't need representation, more on that later, B, when we chat at the end of this, like through COVID, they can sort of handpick the specific help they need from our represented producers when required. Because, you know, and like if you listen to the show regularly and you know a bit about what we do, our specialty isn't just in being agents. Of course, that's a big part of it, but it's also, it's in being fantastic producers and beyond the traditional agent role of finding work and connecting our artists with clients. Our production and project and client management skills are really one of the number one benefits that we bring both, you know, to our artists and to our clients. And that's probably truer every single day in this changing landscape of, of representation, which Jeremy, I really want to hear you talk more about. And so this whole thing has kind of been about how can we provide this in the most helpful way to artists at all different levels of their careers? So yeah, that's COVID in a nutshell, community consult companion. It's so good to get that all out. <laughs> so, all right. Oh my God, release. That is where we are at now. But this has been this, you know, massive journey, nearly like two years in the making, right? So Jeremy, I'm going to hit you with like a million questions. I want to unpack this a bit more for everyone, do our own kind of version of startup. Tell us a bit more, how do we get here? 
yes, how did we get here to this very strange place? Well, look, a lot of it really kind of came from our 10-year anniversary where you know, I, didn't, I don't think I had an existential crisis about the business, but <laughs> you know, it definitely gave me like a lot of pause to kind of think about like, yeah, like, where is the business going? So yeah, I'm always trying to challenge myself both you know, for the sake of the growth of the business, but also yet yeah, for engagement for all the staff here as well. Like, you know, production and our work can be, you know, even though the artists that we work with are amazing, like we need to be constantly challenging, so challenged so that we're kind of growing as kind of creative and creatively inclined people. So I'm always looking for new things to do. And I think if you look at Jackie Winter as a business, you know, that really kind of supports that and always kind of put it back into Jackie Winter as well. Like even things like Lemington Drive, Open Tabs, Jackie Winter Gardens, this, pod- this podcast, it all kind of comes back to that core mission that Laura was kind of talking about in terms of you know, creating this really kind of vital community. And so one of the questions that I always love asking myself when thinking about like the future is like, well, how do we kind of like, like someone is going to put us out of business and, you know, and that's just a fact of life. I mean, I'm someone who really kind of closely monitors other kind of businesses and, you know, the whole idea of kind of disruption as well. Like every business is going to be disrupted. So I think we should be the ones that disrupt our own business. And so that's kind of really kind of what I need to think about. And at the same time, it's all also kind of just thinking about scale. So like, and that was a really difficult question to kind of pose. Like, how do you scale a service business? And, you know, lots has been kind of written about this, but like, yeah, you, you make a product. Products are very easy to kind of scale, but to scale services, well, it's a totally different question. Like you need to kind of, well, yeah, like what, what does that actually kind of, what does that mean? What does it yeah, look when like? Yeah, part of your service is that sort of that boutique, uh, personalized, hands-on nature. How do you grow that past a certain, you know? Yes, and I'll, I'll definitely kind of touch on that. But I think, you know, one of the most important things I needed to touch in with or check in with was like, you know, why? You know, why do we want to scale? Why do we want to grow? And, you know, that's a really difficult question. I think something has been kind of coming up a lot for other businesses. Like you look at how 37 Signals writes about Basecamp back, you know, purposely kind of staying small. And it's that that's a really hard thing to do because businesses naturally want to grow. They want to get bigger. Like as an organism, that's kind of what they well, do. You're doing well, you're getting more work and to handle the more work, you, you need to grow. Exactly. But I also kind of think for us, like, or for me, especially, it's really about kind of like the business being my canvas and about kind of making kind of that larger. So not growth for kind of growth sake or for kind of greed, but actually to experience something on kind of in a larger, more enveloping way. And you really get that feeling when you work with bigger clients on bigger projects and you get to see it and kind of in more places. Like it's kind of like, you know, why I think land art and kind of, you know, any of this kind of more experiential art is kind of, you know, being so popular at the moment because yeah, people want that kind of experience. Imagine being able to be involved in things like that. So, yeah. Okay. So let's talk more about then like the sort of core beliefs of this whole thing and how uh, the shifts in the industry have encouraged us to kind of head in this direction because I think that's really interesting and probably, I don't know, I guess a pretty behind the scenes thing that that we'd all love to hear from you. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's like, you know, the core beliefs and kind of motivation, those are kind of the things that kind of started this kind of whole process, you know, in that anniversary kind of thinking about that. And I kind of did a bit of a stock take and it was, okay, like, yeah, where are we at? What are our core beliefs? And I kind of think one thing that really kind of resonates with me and us as a team, like you said before, Laura, is championing production over agency, you know, really creating value for our artists. Like I've talked a lot in this podcast on how what motivates me is like, you know, that feeling of service and kind of, you know, working with other people and connecting with people kind of in that way. And I think the whole idea of what agencies do is really kind of an old guard. I mean, it's a very analog type of work where I think previously it's all about, yeah, the the value that you would bring would be more to kind of your clients because, you know, you were the kind of gateway between, you know, these 
practicing yeah. artist. Well, it's being a barrier for the sake of being a barrier. Oh, yes. I mean, it, 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 in some ways, I mean, and this, you know, this really kind of came to the fore, especially when you listen. I, I'm going to talk about this all the time, but that Michael Ovitz book talking about how mm -hmm. we started kind of CAA and, you know, what that role was and also kind of hearing about how that business had to evolve and how kind of talent agents evolved in kind of that way as well. But yeah, like, you know, in you know, in a world like where Behance is now, where, you know, everyone can find people on Behance and Instagram and whatever, you know, what kind of value do agents bring? And I think we realized that kind of a long time ago, that how clients were approaching us were changing and what they kind of wanted from us. And also artists' expectations of agents were kind of a lot higher as well. Like the liter the literacy that artists have like around their own business matters and like, you know, having an agent is a really big choice that you make as an artist. I think there was there was a lot kind of there, but we've always kind of championed this whole idea of production and looking at the art of project management and the art of making art, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. is the kind of a core tenet of kind of where we are where at. And then the second thing was really kind of looking at our technology as well. And one of the biggest things that I've always tried to do consistently is constantly reinvest back into the business. And because my background is in technology, like I kind of grew up on dialogue BBSs on, you know, we've talked about ANSI art before and kind of, you know, old logos and all these kind of things like, you know, tech was kind of baked into the business. And I kind of think that's what gave us an initial edge in production as well, like, you know, how we kind of leverage technology. And as soon as I could, you know, we would always reinvest with new kind of products. So whether it's, you know, we have custom presentation software that we developed, we use FileMaker Pro and a completely bespoke system to do all of our CRM and quoting and everything. Um, a few years ago, we moved all everything to a custom cloud-based system in terms of how we manage approvals of jobs, how we automate licensing, how we deal with overdue invoices, how we manage requests for overages and extras, how we calculate usage, how we deal with our legals and put them in kind of plain English. So, you know, Slowly and slowly, we just kind of have, we're picking away in kind of all these different elements of the business. And I think, you know, a few years ago, one of the biggest changes for me was, I talk about this a lot when I kind of talk about Jackie Winter and kind of when we made this term, but, you know, staying at the Chateau Marmont, which I, I sprung for, like kind of just to do, you know, once when I was there, like, you know, before I started the family mm -hmm. and that whole idea of kind of staying in this kind of, or in any kind of luxury hotel and, you know, basically everything from the moment you make the booking to when you arrive, all those little touches and to when you kind of leave, you know, whether it's the kind of personal stationery or kind of the robes or kind of, you know, how someone kind of talks to you. It's like, it's all about these kind of touch points. And I think, you know, really, we were slowly then continuing to reinvest back into the agency and put our money where our mouth is. And and I wanted to kind of create that experience as well, because even though we were still being, you know, we were still producers, the agency part of things, I think we were kind of reinventing at the same time as well. So, you know, we have this welcome email that kind of has, you know, a producer's kind of waving and beautiful animated calligraphy. All of our paperwork is kind of, you know, beautiful works in PDFs as well as kind of an HTML. Um, we made a terms and conditions video, the way we use Basecamp, the way we send and how we send our field guides or challenge coins, all those kind of things. So basically, you know, we, we, we got to this point where I realized like almost every area area of our project management, our kind of thing is, is kind of perfect. So like, you know, how can we kind of take this to the next level? How can we actually kind of continue to kind of build the tools and kind of to go beyond kind of what's more kind of superficial and dig kind of a bit deep, deeper. So at that point, you know, we started kind of talking to PDA, which were our current kind of web developers at the moment. And I kind of pitched them a few kind of crazy ideas that I had. And they were really generous in terms of their time and interest in terms of trying to kind of kickstart and kind of develop those tools in terms of, you know, I don't want to kind of say too much here because there's still a bit of a little bit that we kind of haven't kind of launched here, but I guess, you know, relating to Corvid and beyond, but it kind of started there. These conversations 
conversations that we kind of had with PDA about how can we continue to reinvest kind of in our tools and yeah, and, and where can this go? Yeah, I, totally, Jeremy. And, and I mean, I've seen obviously that progression happen watching you and working with you over this time. But let's talk more about Corvid itself. So firstly, let's get it out of the way. The name. What the hell is a Corvid? Oh, I love the, like the, the name is fantastic. And I actually have to give I love it too. I have to give credit to Rachel Kendrick, who is she kind of has helped us out with all of our copy and like all the very initial Jackie Winter stuff. Um, Rachel is now a very successful person in advertising. I don't know if you're listening to this, Rachel, but if you are, congratulations and thank you for everything. And, you know, so really the, you know, I told her what we were kind of trying to do with Corvin. and I had to really kind of do it with tools. And so one of the big ideas that I was kind of developing with PDA was like, you know, well, we, we made all these things like, you know, these are kind of tools that we, you know, use all the time. And we want to kind of now open that up a bit more. We want to kind of, we're tool makers and we want to kind of make these tools kind of available to more people because they're really useful tools. And so Rachel came up with Corvid because I'm going to read the definition here of um, Corviday. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but C-O-R-V-I-D-A-E. It's a cosmopolitan family of oscine passerine birds that contain the crows, ravens, rooks, jackdaws, jays, magpies, treepies, chows, and nutcrackers. In common English, they are known as the crow family or more technically corvids. And when I kind of Googled this, the first result I got was from The Conversation, a website that we've referenced a few times here on the podcast. And I love this. The whole article, and I'll link to this as well, is um, Stone the Crows. <laughs> Could Corvids be Australia's smartest export? And like that pretty much has kind of sealed the deal for me. It was like I just knew it as soon as I saw it. Because really, what this article is about is how Corvids, crows, they use insight to solve challenges. And they actually develop their own tools. So they drop shellfish and nuts onto hard surfaces to crack them. And they use objects as tools and even form their own tools, such as bikes and hooks to wrinkle out food from crevices. And it's like, that's an amazing concept. So, you know, Jackie Winter has always been, you know, that was a bird and that was a bird theme and that had kind of my initials. And then when I saw Corvid, it was like, well, this seems like an absolute perfect fit. Also, the ID top level domain was available. So you, you, get, <laughs> that's a, a key you get a great, you know, it is a huge factor these days. You can add it to your very long collection <laughs> of domains that you now have. Indeed. But yeah, no, that's where it came from. Awesome. So obviously, you know, that resonated with you. And then how did that translate into this thing that we're not doing? So, I mean, let's, I'll take a step back, you know, so we were, we were working with PDA. We were trying to kind of develop this piece of tech, basically. And it, this isn't actually the first time we tried to develop it, um, to develop tech. You know, we tried to do kind of products before. Notably, have I talked about NotePods on the podcast at all? No. This is, a re- this is an interesting kind of... Is it like an espresso pod? It it's kind of no not at all. So um, this is a brief sidebar, but like yeah, like we tried to do this product, um, you know, really in the very early stages of iPhones, like around the three G or three GS model. And again, we were working with our kind of partners at the time of Virginia and Joseph and Narinda at Inventive Labs, and we had this idea. And I don't want to talk about the idea again because I might resurrect it in kind of some way. But through through this kind of thing, we we were trying to like mock up the idea. And we're like, man, it'd be great if there was just like a notepad that looked like an like an iPhone, so we can kind of draw on it. Anyway, we decided to make it and it became this viral hit. And like we made like a ton of money from it. And oh. then the website ThinkGeek was about to um, place this massive order for it. And we got hit with a cease and desist from Apple. 
yeah, it was a huge bummer. Oh shit! But yeah, if you look up Notepads, and there's also then we had an iPod version as well, the Notepad Plus. They they went gangbusters. It was amazing. That's crazy. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm sorry. The first thing that comes up is Notepads are the saddest iPhone knockoffs ever. Yeah, that's it. That's us. <laughs> that's you. That's us. So yeah, so basically, you know, we we so we were working on this product with PDA, and I think you know as we kind of went through it, we realized that you know you realize pretty soon like you know how limited technology, time, and money will take you, and the reality of creating a tech product is super real you know you hear so much in these startup stories about why they kind of need vc and how much money they kind of burn through and i kind of think yeah it's an absolute kind of reality in terms of if you to make kind of things like that it's and it's a bit depressing and a bit you know crazy but like i kind of wouldn't kind of settle for not being able to do something and you know that's always been something part of my practice like with is not magazine I, I talk about a lot like you know wanting to make a magazine but not having any money finding another way to kind of i guess kickstart that so and at the same time we kind of the jackie winters site has been up for like three or four years at that time and i try to relaunch the site every kind of two to three years as well so we really need to kind of reprioritize that you know and the question of kind of scale came back up like you know what are we going to do kind of differently and again, like, you know, one of the big things that we're working towards is the actual Jackie Winter relaunch coming up in a couple of months. But, you know, I, again, kind of took stock. And I think, you know, the reason that the initial product with that we were trying to make back in the old iPhone days kind of didn't work is because I was trying to answer a new kind of question that I thought, like, that I thought kind of people wanted or provide something that people wanted. But, you know, that it, it wasn't something that actually I had kind of experience or kind of insight to, even though it was in our industry. Um, and I think that's why it kind of didn't work. It kind of just fizzled out there in a way. And so really when I was coming back to take stock of where we were at, I thought like, you know, we really just need to kind of take a bit of a low tech approach and again, go back to the kind of the thing that makes production and agency work so interesting, which is that kind of analog stuff. And I think you know, I really kind of wanted to answer the problems that we were kind of already kind of facing where, again, so many people were approaching us for folio reviews, so many people were approaching us for advice. And, you know, but we also had like amazing resources, like producers, you know, like you, Jess, Lee, Micah, everyone has such amazing experience doing different things. And, you know, it wasn't just kind of about me in that way, but also really clients were using us as art buyers as well. Like, and, you know, really bring us in as part of the creative process because that's how we were kind of selling ourselves as well. So, yeah, that was, uh, you know, a lot of these things were kind of coalescing and like we're figuring out like, you know, well, right now, this is just kind of something that's kind of just we've been doing kind of on the side. And the time was really right, especially with the growth of the U.S. office B, you know, in terms of you know, North America and European kind of clients and artists, especially there's something that we never really kind of had access to in our first kind of eight years. But, you know, with that office kind of growing, you know, that kind of the timing was right there as well. And I think everyone here really wanted to, you know, starting I think when you do so much work in advertising as well, it actually just increases your desire to give back because I think, yeah, advertising isn't the most kind of engaging thing. So, you know, the the idea of creating community and kind of helping younger artists and doing all these other things, whether it's lecturing, working in education, et cetera, and really just kind of putting that together with the complete obvious nature of this whole kind of you know, on-demand economy where, you know, established artists want kind of on-demand service, but they didn't want it with, you know, the same overheads as traditional representations. That was coming from actual conversations that, that, you know, that Bianca was having as well, like, you know, when she was going to Icon and places like that. And yeah, the whole idea of kind of just, you know, Tinder and Uber, like, you know, where you can just kind of get these things in, in a more decentralized way, like, and, you know, all these things just kind of started to make sense. And then the idea from corporate kind of started to emerge from there. Okay, cool. So I want to pause there for a second and just talk about 
I guess, some of this stuff in more detail because, as you know, and I know, there are various ways that we could have grown the business. And and we settled on this idea of COVID. So tell us why. Well, that was really interesting because I think a lot of it came from then moving to kind of to BFF and the kind of research we did. And I'll kind of talk about that process a, a bit longer. But we wanted to scale. We needed to scale. Like, you know, our artists and our clients kind of came to rely on a certain kind of standard of our material of, of you know, everything that we do. It's very kind of work intensive and takes a lot of money, you know? So, you know, how do we scale? I'm very expensive. You, well, we talked about your six-figure creative director salary. Um, <laughs> it's all your rates. <laughs> but look, I mean, we, we looked at this and it's like, we realized, I was like, well, yeah, you can obviously just represent more artists, but like, that's really, I don't know, that wasn't a solution for us. You know, like we're already a big agency and, and you know, the reason we're big though is because we have a lot of producers here. So I still feel the producer to artist ratio is, you know, very reasonable, gives us kind of that boutique service that our artists love, but I didn't want to become a marketplace. So it's like, you know, we, we have some really amazing ideas and I'm very excited that are going to be launching with the new kind of Jackie Winter relaunch. But yeah, becoming a marketplace was not kind of one of them. And when I say marketplace, you, do you know what I mean? Like kind of all mm-hmm. those, you know, sites like, you know, that you just know, representing every artist here. ever. Or sometimes not just with artists, like, you know, it happens like with kind of coders and developers, mm-hmm. like, you know, these just mass places that they go. But at the same time, like, yeah, we didn't have, you know, if we wanted to scale the production, we couldn't just hire more producers because, you know, like you said, producers are expensive. <laughs> so, you know, so really that's kind of where this whole idea, it's like to actually invert the traditional agency model, which is basically, yeah, instead of representing more artists, instead of hiring more producers, we actually represent producers. And so that's kind of how we scale, basically, where all these tools and systems that we have kind of been hoarding and kind of keeping ourselves, we're kind of taking the spirit of generosity and kind of business, putting them together and kind of opening that up to let other people use it, our systems and our tools, and basically using that as kind of a I guess, logistical business and financial way that we can kind of make more tools like from that. So a lot of that kind of, you know, my ambition for to kind of really create more tech that can help project management and help creative project management, especially is still there. But it's like, how do we get kind of the money to do that? So I want to say really quickly, like, I think there was a struggle for a while of like, how do we scale? What do we do that doesn't negatively affect the things that we already are doing and that we really want to continue doing huge huge thing huge thing like that really that was like tormenting us for a long time and i think the thing that makes us so excited about this idea is that we sort of finally found this way to pair like how do we invest more time and energy and money and and you know love into the jackie winter roster and everything that we do there but also like find a way to further share and encourage and educate, you know, with all these other artists that we aren't able to represent formally without spreading ourselves too thin, without using up all resources in one thing or the other. And that marriage here feels really right, which is why we've been so excited. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a semi kind of, compl- in some, some levels, a complicated idea. Like people have been asking me about like what it is. And I'm just like, it's three things. And it kind of does this. But I think once you read the site, once you kind of hear a bit more, it does make kind of sense. And that's, you know, the wonderful thing about it is that we have been able, like we have been able to leverage everything kind of within kind of what we kind of currently do. And I think I want to touch more upon that. Like we're going to do a whole, and you know, in our kind of show notes here, we're going to talk about the challenges here and I want to kind of bring that up. But yeah, obviously, that was one of the biggest challenges. But this whole idea here was, you know, taking this kind of tiered approach as well, which is that, again, these are things that were kind of already kind of happening and we were already kind of doing as a business and we were kind of formalizing and all of our existing tech as well. So it's like the way we use kind of Slack and FileMaker, DocuSign, Acuity. So, you know, existing tech that works within our current stack and how to kind of service a different kind of market with that. 
And I think, yeah, it's, it's really allowing us to kind of take this MVP kind of style approach as well, where we are doing these kind of three things, even though they kind of fit into one thing and they're for three different types of people. And so we can kind of see what works, but also kind of retaining our value-based pricing model. So it's not just a matter of us kind of selling our time, which is another thing that we needed to work on as well, because if we were just selling our time, we wouldn't be able to stay in business as well. That's why the value-based pricing model works well for us. And if you look at this kind of as a consultancy type of business, and if it was just like kind of like, okay, we're selling hours of our time, it wouldn't work. And I and I think, look, the last thing kind of I want to kind of talk about is, yeah, like, you know, like building an MVP and kind of taking that approach. It's like, well, how do, you know, how can we be a tech-driven company that can outside of the tech world? And so, you know, when we kind of settled upon this idea, it's like, well, how do, you know, how do we actually kind of get this done? And so you know, I went through a few processes of actually kind of trying to hire a developer that would kind of work in-house. It was and a very long job ad involved. <laughs> a very long job ad, a really long process because I never hired a developer. And, you know, I found it probably the most challenging thing professionally kind of I've ever had to do. I could probably do a whole episode kind of just on that and kind of what that was like. I met some amazing people, had some amazing kind of conversations. But at the end, I just found that I think my one, my expectations were kind of out of alignment or, you know, sometimes that kind of fit wasn't right or kind of like, you know, certain technical skills that we needed kind of weren't well, imagine there. Imagine if we were relying on one person to do all the stuff oh, we've it, now done with Corvette. That it, would be insane. It, it, yeah, no, absolutely. And it wasn't just Corvette. There were other kind of things yeah. on deck as well. So, yeah, it was, it, you know, this is kind of, I kind of reached my lowest professionally. I didn't know like, like what I was going to do. And so I kind of did one last ditch kind of effort where I kind of said like, okay, like, well, typically we don't really advertise much for positions when they're kind of open, we just kind of put them up on our socials and, you know, hope people kind of come to us and usually just kind of talk to kind of, you know, each other, other kind of peers, other people that we kind of know, other artists. But this time I decided to try something new where I would actually pitch my desperation to our clients. And so I reached out to like a few of our clients and I said like, hey, I'm in a really tough spot. Like, you know, we have these things that we really don't want to do. It's mission critical kind of to our business, but, you know, we can't find a developer to kind of help us with. If you know of anyone kind of looking for freelance or anyone that you could recommend to work in-house, like, please let us know. Because, yeah, getting a developer, you know, the kind of salaries and the kind of people, the kind of jobs that those people can get, like, are, you know, they're so in demand. So it was just really hard to find this talent. And basically, we had a client, BFF, who... You know, we provided them illustration services for them and kind of their work. And they pretty much, you know, that, you know, Jose from there came back to me and said, like, hey, instead of us kind of giving you a referral, like, we want to kind of actually pitch you on us. We know it's kind of a bit crazy, but like, you know, would you be open to it? And I was really kind of reluctant at first, but, you know, it started this whole kind of process where we had this conversation. And basically, yeah, like we kind of were able to kind of work something out on this kind of year long kind of agreement of all these things that we're going to kind of roll out. And yet without BFFs kind of involvement and willing to kind of do it, yet Corbett probably wouldn't be here where it is now. So a huge thanks to Miranda and Jose and the whole team. You know, they're still one of our clients and, they're still and we're one, one of, our one of clients. their clients. It's it, a strange relationship. It's a really interesting relationship and a really interesting model. Like, you know, one of the things, um, I can't remember which studio it was, but like, you know, MailChimp has this relationship, a similar kind of mm. relationship with another studio where it's kind of like, yeah, they're, they're really kind of enmeshed together in kind of some way. So, you know, they're not business partners and, you know, BFFs isn't our business, business partner in this at the moment, but there is a lot of kind of closeness there that is really interesting and really kind of not traditional. And look, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we decided like, okay, Corvid is going to, is a new business, but it's also kind of part of Jackie Winter. And, you know, everything is kind of now under this kind of Corvid banner that represents this kind of other side of things, essentially. 
So yeah, look, I have riveted on for a lot there, but those, you know, that's just, I guess, scratching the surface on a bit of the history. Cause like I said, yeah. this was like an 18 to 24 month process. There was a lot that kind of happened that was interesting, but look, Laura, you've been working really closely with me on this from the beginning, um, especially so in recent months as it kind of gets to the pointy end. So look, so yeah, I'd really just like to hear a bit more about your involvement and the challenges faced in balancing setting up a new business alongside your usual role here. Yeah. How was that? Pointy end indeed. I'm glad you brought it up, Jeremy, because I, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. No, I'm kidding. It's been amazing. It's been tiring. It's been fascinating. It's been exhausting. It's just a really wild ride. So as you said, we kind of formulated this whole idea over a really long period in collaboration with BFF and we did all sorts of research into like how we were doing as a company, how we were serving our artists and our clients. How would we, you know, be able to continue to service them in the future? And so many ideas were floated during this time. And eventually this whole COVID concept evolved thanks to input from so many people on the team. And that's when you sort of really brought me in to assist. So we had a whole lot of group meetings, nutting out the sort of real, real basics of the idea. And then at one point, you and I took off to the hills to, to Jackie Winter Gardens for a week and you basically like locked me in a house and together we sort of fleshed out the finer details of this. And I just, holy shit, I think like one of the things, it sounds so obvious, but like no matter how many questions you're expecting to have to answer when you're setting up something new, there are just more and more and more than you could ever imagine. And that initial strategy and planning stage was such an interesting and also tricky thing to be so heavily involved in because, you know, it's like the more questions you answer, the more questions come up about how the hell to make those answers work. And it's just this kind of never ending cycle. And the whole time I feel like there's been this kind of hilarious and also useful balance between like my deep seated, like detailed pessimistic brain and your like big thinking, fast moving approach. That's actually been really crucial to getting this kind of right, but also painful at times because it's hard to align those two things sometimes, but it's also been, I think, really, really vital to the process. So I was involved on that end of things, helping us sort of to figure out the architecture of this new venture and what the intricacies of it were. And then with that came a lot of writing. So mapping out what we were doing and how we were going to do it and why. And initially for us, you know, internally to understand and make sense of it all. And then eventually turning all of this into the final copy that would make up the sort of entirety of the business. So the website, everything from the main page copy to confirmation emails, to button text, to FAQs, to bios and everything else in between. And then, uh, you know, also things like helping to word our contracts so they'd be easy to understand. And holy moly, just like thank the Lord for our, you know, amazing lawyer, Yasmin, who puts up with all of our endless changes and questions to things like the community rules for the slap group, which again, thank you to hundreds under 100 and Carl Yez for letting mm. us adapt their amazing community rules and text for all of the forms and the booking systems and so on. It's just like a super mega involved process. And now, of course, like, you know, while I have always done a, a fair chunk of copywriting in my time here at Jackie Winter over the last five years, my main role is, of course, as an agent and producer, right? Managing commissions for our wonderful artists. And so for a time, there really was this tricky balancing act where we were trying to sort of manage that side of things with these new responsibilities. And eventually, we've really had to lean hard on our incredible production team here to take on even more work than they already do while I was kind of out of action focusing on this. And at first, it was like, you know, we promised it'll be a week only and then like, okay, two weeks and then like one month. And now I've been like largely out of the production game since like late November, perhaps even earlier. And I like, I just really cannot stress enough how integral 
having a team like this around us has, you know, been in taking on, you know, them taking on this extra production load, how integral it's been to us getting this up and running. And I like, it's funny. So I was really lucky to be asked recently by the awesome Gary Williams, who we had on the show just a couple of weeks ago. Hey. Hey. He asked me to speak on this panel at Pause Fest a couple of weeks ago, and it was all about side projects and startups and like balancing that with full-time work. And my first reaction was like, well, like, I don't really have any side projects at the moment. And like, I've never started a startup. And so I was like, what can I contribute to this? But then the more I thought about it and I talked about it with you, Jeremy, like the thing that occurred to me was that we as a company have our own side hustles and these things, you know, that we try to do outside of our standard duties. And COVID is a really good example of this. So is the podcast, you know? (laughs) And I guess it's like this idea that you're hired for one thing, in my case, you know, to be an agent, to produce projects. But of course, like everyone else here, I bring with me my skills and my interests from other areas. And this has been one of the ways that we've sort of been able to really implement those within the company and you know it's like sort of making the most of the additional skills and interests (laughs) that everyone here has and I think the interesting thing to note here is then that sort of weird line that we've had to try and draw between like what my role covers what it doesn't and you know I guess like because just because we have these side hustles doesn't mean that my full-time duties as an agent or producer suddenly go away completely, even with the huge help of the rest of our team. And and something like this that's so massive and on such a tight timeline, it inevitably comes with like some really intense work hours and um, commitment that are outside of my regular expectations in this role. And it's been, it's been a crazy wild ride. Like, you know, I haven't have, I haven't worked a normal week in like several months and, you know, exercise is kind of going out the window. I'm pretty sure I've gained some weight, but it's also really fulfilling and really exhausting. And at the end of the day, like, it's just a funny thing to think about because whilst I get a lot out of it, it's also, it is different to a personal side hustle in that I'm doing it for the company, not necessarily just for myself. And it's not something that I take with me if I leave, but I've bloody loved it. And without this, you know, this experimentation and this hard work, the the company and my own job and me as a person and our artists and everything wouldn't evolve. So we make it work. But it is a really interesting area of side hustles that people don't often think about. I agree with all those things. And yeah, for me as a manager, I think it, it was also really fun to be able to give you this to like, you know, and give everyone this like kind of really to help, I guess, mold yeah, mm. where the business is kind of going and to have that experience of, of kind of, of, yeah, of creating a new business within a business. Completely. It's, yeah, it is a really special and unique sort of opportunity, even if I, I really need some sleep. <laughs> Jeremy, like, I want to cap this off. I, let's talk a little bit more then about the challenges and the obstacles that we faced in doing this. You've touched on some, but, you know, we're going to continue to face some of these obstacles. And I, I think, let's just be honest here, that's the really juicy and interesting <laughs> stuff. Can you tell us some more? Oh, yeah, look, I mean, there were so many like I don't even. I mean, yeah. The the whole project of kind of birthing something is just is is Ugh. coming up against birthing. all those challenges. <laughs> I think yeah. From there is a bit. There's a bit of a chronology here. I think one of the first challenges that I had to face was you know being patient and also doing things a bit differently. <laughs> Your best trait, Jeremy. Not my best trait, <laughs> but yeah. Working with BFF was really interesting in terms of how, how they really kind of put research as part of like as as a real kind of fundamental thing and allowing the time for that to kind of happen. So that involved really countless interviews and kind of just lots of talking, lots of post-it notes, lots of so many many post-it notes. I've never seen so many. But also really just opening ourselves up in that way I thought was really challenging because BFF actually not only interviewed all of us, but they interviewed our clients, they interviewed our artists, they interviewed kind of, you know, fans, people who were kind of engaged kind of with us and, you know, had to get this anonymous feedback. Sometimes um, the 
feedback was critical, but we really needed that feedback. You know, I think I've always been someone who kind of just goes by their gut in so many ways. Like <laughs> I never look at our webpage analytics. I never look at any kind of, I, I try to stay away from feedback as much How as possible. How do we even work together? We're so different. <laughs> so that was a, an amazing challenge, but also an amazing opportunity in terms of, I think a lot of what we opened up with Corbin in terms of actually being able to solidify, you know, because the idea wasn't final before we did the research. You know, we had, you know, we had the stuff that we worked yeah. The stuff that we worked on with PDA was kind of, you know, set like a, a goal far in the future. And this whole idea was like, okay, we're going to use Corvid as a way to kind of get there. Mm-hmm. How I do we feel kind of- though, like the idea, once we landed on it, just, it was crazy just how, I feel like it actually developed really quickly and it felt really yeah. right. Once it clicked. Well, yes. And this to is, get that click. To get that hell, click took a, a while. Yeah, it really, you know, and that was kind of something I wasn't expecting that, yeah, the, the idea did not just come immediately. It really had to get massaged into shape and where it made sense. And I think the biggest part of this and one of the biggest challenges, I don't think it was a challenge, but it was something that was, you know, that had to happen was really getting the trust from the rest of the team. And I think that was something that I wasn't really kind of expecting because it's like, you know, producers were all kind of behind the scenes kind of in that way. And to start with, we'll talk about how we're kind of opening this up to freelance producers, but we're the ones who are kind of bootstrapping this in a way by us being the kind of talent who are kind of represented. So everyone had to kind of come to terms with two things. It's like one, okay, you are now going to be the talent that's represented and it's going to be your face and your LinkedIn and everything Mm -hmm. that's going to be the thing that is like, what we're selling or hey are you comfortable with this and then kind of then fitting it's it too late by that point <laughs> oh it was, it was well but and but like and also kind of fitting in new work into an existing workload so this was kind of you know one thing to kind of really figure out and everyone was surprisingly game about it so like i have to give like this is something that really like i couldn't just kind of dictate from the top down we're doing this like we made this decision as a team to really challenge ourselves and to grow and to do all these things that we want to do but look i think the biggest thing that we need to kind of talk about is the trust from our artists and like that is really one of the things that we did laura like um you know in our workshop is kind of figuring out like you know like how are we gonna like you know tell people about mm-hmm. this like you know what if our artists kind of freak out about it because i think look there is so many times like you know we have to do things that are in our best interest or in the agency's interest that is you know there's this I, there's this communal aspect to representation that some can be hard for some people because mm-hmm. you know everyone i think a smaller kind of group you get that kind of you know, it, it's nice. You get that kind of attention. But like with us, we've kind of always taken a bit of a different approach. We've always had a bit of a different kind of scaled approach and kind of promoted the agency kind of as a group. And hopefully we're trying to demonstrate that, you know, not just through words, but with our actions and with the jobs that we bring to our artists and how we're able to actually affect their practice. So, you know, by us expanding our tools, making us better producers and eventually having more producers kind of there you know, more kind of client exposure, like, you know, we had to kind of figure out like how we're going to talk about this with our artists. And if, and there was a real possibility that everyone would kind of hear this and, you know, and there still might be a possibility that people, when people see it, you know, they might be like, actually, you know, this isn't for me, or I don't like, you know, I don't like the idea of kind of you doing kind of these other things. So, you know, I have to just, yeah, I wish I could kind of thank each of them individually. And I think one of the hardest parts of this job was, um, or, or doing this, like I did actually write each artist individually. You know, we, you know, there was a bit of a form letter there to kind of explain things, but I reached out to everyone. I kind of opened up this kind of conversation. And, you know, in addition to that, there was some, a really big challenge that we did have to kind of thin the roster out a bit. And we did have to part ways with some artists who I think just to kind of make sure that, I guess our time wasn't going to be completely monopolized. We need we need to open up time somewhere. So yeah, you're right. A lot of that time we spent away there was like, how do we? It's not like oh, how do we? How do we bluff this to them so that they like don't notice what we're doing? It's how do we genuinely communicate that like 
everything we're trying to do here is with like that number one interest in mind of like, how can we be here for as long as possible to champion you as artists and to to serve the industry and make it healthy and, you know, uh, make it thriving. And like, in order to do that, we need to make sure that we are useful to our clients, useful to the artists in this landscape. And this sort of COVID thing is a part of that, but it doesn't mean that Jackie Winter isn't you know? Yeah, no, we, we have to stay relevant. We have to stay on trend. There's so many kind of things that we, we have to do. And like, you know, this, we really believe, and I do believe that this is the way to do it. And I kind of, I, I do kind of see that the business has grown and now we have kind of two sides of the business. And again, it, it is about kind of just formalizing what we've already kind of been doing, but yeah, without having that kind of trust from our artists, I don't know where we would be. Yeah. I just want to kind of thank them and thank you you know, for all that. And then look, apart from those kind of more, I guess those are big picture challenges. There are so many other kind of smaller things that kind of that go along with that. So it's like, yeah, how do we figure out like, how do we kind of consult worldwide? How do we deal with different languages? How do we kind of come up with this pricing model as well? So like with Corvid Consult, for example, a lot of it, you know, what we've tried to figure out is, okay, it's not like kind of you're hiring by the hour, although in some terms it is, but figuring out how can we take, again, a value-based approach kind of to it? How can we kind of look at, you know, we're, we're giving a report back in this way? How do we we legally deal with um, giving this kind of advice as well because something we talked about you know the AOI for example they shut down their pricing hotline because of sim- uh, cause it's like legal issues kind of around that so working through those logistical issues um, and also just like yeah what it was going to be like when we kind of spill our secret sauce in that way yeah. like you know and show it to other people and kind of take things behind the scenes even some of the things we talked about in this podcast you know it's like just now it's like you know yeah like we we have been hoarding kind of ourselves. So mm-hmm. that's, we have no idea what's going to happen there. Also, just technically, there's so much kind of that you don't think of. It's like uh. setting up a bloody new domain name. It's so easy to buy a domain name, but then it's like to actually kind of set it up in Gmail and to set up all the different services. Yeah, all and then the, to get everyone here to use them. Uh, like, yeah, like it's, 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 like it is, you know, Changing it's no like small feat yeah. coming up with a new brand, figuring out which like third party software to kind of trial and use. So it's been an amazing kind of challenge. Like for, for really, it's like, it was really funny because we, we joke about this with BFF a lot. It's like, you know, when we initially kind of came up with Corvid, it's like, oh, this is just gonna be like a little one pager that we're going to do. And like, you know, <laughs> and we'll just kind of integrate Slack. It'll be a different thing. But then it actually turned out to be a very robust kind of technical service. And I think, yeah, there's so much that is happening. Amazing stuff behind the scenes. Like we're using Airtable. I can't table. imagine you doing anything other than that, Jeremy. Uh, but, you know, I, hopefully, you know, if there's an artist listening to this and is going to kind of give it a whirl, they'll get to kind of experience this, you know, themselves. Mm-hmm. But yeah, creating all of those kind of touch points that we created with Jackie Winter, you know, over 10 years and Crondy then get that down to a six month kind of process. Oh, God, um, yeah. That was really interesting. So, yeah, there was a lot of really interesting challenges. And I think we haven't really, you know, we're, we're, we're going to find out if, you know, by now, hopefully what, what the rest of them are like and kind of what they are. So look, that's a bit of a kind of run through. Again, you can check out everything at Corvid, C-O-R-V dot I-D, indeed, speaking of that other domain. But look, before we wrap up for the week, you know, this is going to be a bit of a bumper episode, you know, at this point, but I think that's okay. There's a lot to kind of go like through. We're going into Joe Rogan territory. We're going to have a three hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it, you know, I thought it was really quite prescient that literally in my open tabs was an article posted on the Adobe um, blog 99U entitled Design Debate, Do Illustrators Need Agents? And I should also kind of discuss as well as like, you know, even though our background and specifically relates to illustration animation, you know, we specifically, you know, have not kind of limited ourselves to that for the stuff that we're doing on Corvid. While 
I mean, I don't want to kind of get into all the different kind of disciplines and, you know, things we can and kind of can't do. But like, yeah, this article, obviously about Illustrator specifically, where we have the most kind of, you know, knowledge, I thought it'd be interesting to discuss. I thought it could be a great way to end on a more traditional note, going to open tabs, discuss some of the voices heard in this piece, as it's really so relevant to the work we're doing with Corbett and the challenges in our industry today. So B, maybe just get us started with a bit of a summary of the piece. Cool. So the article speaks to three illustrators who are all at different stages of their careers about their opinions and experience with representation. I like, it was interesting that it's called design debates. And I think the opening line was, do designers need agents? But side note. So first up was Alva Skog, if that's how I pronounce her name, who was a London-based illustrator, and she found representation straight out of university. And her experience with having an agent, it actually echoes something that I hear from a lot of illustrators. They either enjoy having representation or they desperately want representation so that they have someone else on board to take care of all of the business and production sides of being a commercial artist so that as an artist, they can focus their time on doing what they do best, which is creating great work. Elva, she was a fresh grad when she signed with her agency and she mentions not being particularly confident in knowing how to price her work when she entered the workforce. So having someone with experience who could quote and negotiate on her behalf was a huge help for her. And she also talks about the benefit of her agents acting as career mentors and working with her to support and nurture her growth, as well as her agents giving her access to bigger clients that she may not have had the opportunity or confidence to navigate herself. So she's super pro representation, had great experience with it. And I think echoes a lot of the benefits of, yeah, having an agent that yeah, I hear from a lot of our artists as well. Next was Erin Annika, who is another London-based illustrator, and she doesn't have representation. And to be honest, that's been working out quite well for her so far. She did say, though, that the more clients she gets, the more time-consuming the admin side of things is becoming. So if the right agent approached her, she would probably consider it. She's found that she doesn't necessarily need an agent to find work. She enjoys connecting with new people, networking, meeting new art directors. That's something that she really enjoys, and it kind of sounds like comes very naturally to her. Not having representation, though, has meant that she's had to really invest in building a strong and supportive network around her. She has many mentors and peers that she can turn to to get the type of advice and expertise and guidance that an agent might traditionally provide. I think Erin kind of, I guess for some artists, negotiating your worth and the value of what you do can be quite intimidating, but it sounds like these skills come quite naturally to Erin. So representing herself has worked quite well for her. And then the final comment comes from New York-based illustrator Yuko Shimitsu, who also lectures at SVA. And I really apologize if I am butchering anyone's surnames. Yuko has an agent, but she actually worked independently for the first seven years of her career. So she has experience on both sides of the fence. I want to read some of Yuko's thoughts on representation just to kind of kick her off. She says, she kind of opens with, I don't recommend that anyone starting out in illustration get an agent straight away. It's a myth that once you get an agent, your career will be set. It's not true that an agent means everything's going to be fine and jobs are going to be pouring in. The truth is, if your work is good, you're going to get work. That's the only way that things are going to happen. Now, I agree with part of Yuko's sentiment here. I wholeheartedly agree that an agent is not a magic bullet to success. I believe that a great artist 
agent relationship really is a true partnership and like any successful relationship, it cannot be one-sided. So, you know, an agent is going to want to work with artists who continue to invest in themselves, just like an artist is going to want to work with an agent that continues to invest in themselves and in the agency and in their artists. So, you know, if you are an artist to hold up your side of the bargain, an agent is probably going to expect you to do things like do great work and be nice to work with to start to really stay current and continue to work on developing your craft and continue to push yourself further and explore new styles and techniques out of your work as a commercial artist. Yeah, I think it definitely is a partnership, an agency artist relationship. So relying on one or the other, I don't think is ever going to be successful. So Yuko, she talks a lot about the benefit of spending the early stages of your career gathering clients on your own and getting your name out there so that you actually have something to bargain with when the right agent does a, like does actually come along, which I thought was quite an interesting, yeah, an interesting piece of advice. What about you guys? What do you reckon? Yeah, I had pulled out that same quote from Yuko, actually, and I there's a, I, she's definitely the one I kind of resonated with the most. I don't agree, as you like, you didn't either, but like with exactly what she says necessarily. Um, and I don't have time right now to go into my exact thoughts on the matter, but I think you know, as they touch on in this piece several times, it's clear that the role of the agent is changing and will continue to do so. And right now, and for the foreseeable future, I think there are incredible things to be gained from a long-term partnership between artist and representative. And, you know, it's a relationship that I think can only be gained from working in that way. And, you know, a type of full service support that really benefits from that ongoing interaction and an understanding of one another. And I would hope, you know, that many of our, our rostered artists would agree. However, in saying that, like, I think there's no denying that there is you know, this this huge need in the freelance artist market for access to some of the information and support that an agent provides. But for whatever reason, whether they're unable to or they don't want to, full-time you know, agency representation just isn't feasible. And that there should be a way for them to tap into these services, albeit in a slightly different way that, that works to that kind of arrangement. You know, and if these people are going to be getting this information and this help from somewhere, I want it to be from a trustworthy organization with thorough experience and with the best interests of those artists and the artist industry as a whole at heart. And I, you know, I take a lot of pride in saying that we make great efforts to do just that. And I think, you know, Jeremy, as you were saying before, like, I think it's inevitable that we're going to be seeing alternative models in this space in the coming years. And oh, we already are. We, we know, already we, are. Yeah, exactly. we were talking about something the other day. Again, I forget that link, you know, where people like super friendly, for example, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, not an, you know, not an agency, but they, you know, they bring their friends on board or different platforms mm -hmm. that allow people to kind of cluster in and kind of answer bigger briefs. Well, that's it. The way the world, you know, the way work works these days like there is that ability to really um decentralize like kind of to spread and to well the rise sort of, of the remote workforce has been well yeah but to sort of ad hoc pick your pick your team and there are like huge benefits to that and there are also huge benefits to to the other you know more traditional model of working with the same team over a long period of time and sort of gaining that long-term understanding of each other and how you work but i think that both are right for different situations and that's the same when it comes to to artists and I think I completely agree with you Cohen that like there's yeah unless your work is good having an agent is not going to do anything for you it's not a magic bullet but I think the you know and and definitely today you look at Instagram you look at Behance you look at whatever it's absolutely possible for an artist to be going out and getting their own clients and and promoting themselves in that way the question is you know do you want to be handling all of that and the bigger that you get and you know can you afford to be doing all of that you know, and not spending that time on creating your artwork. And that's often where agents come in. But yeah, our goal above all else is to be around in a strong way for as long as possible so that we can continue to be 
a positive force and voice for artists. And doing this relies on us anticipating and exploring what artists need from us, artists from all areas of the spectrum, and how we can serve them in different ways to cater for the variations in their needs. Yeah, mm. I mean, let's I maybe mean, yeah. talk about the, like, is there a place for for both of these things? And and I kind of wanted to maybe talk a little bit about why formal representation is still great and is still necessary oh, yeah. um, at the risk of really oversimplifying it. I kind of think that having an agent is like being in a long-term relationship versus dating around. I mean, you're you you really are partners in the process. You have each other's back. You're growing together. You're supporting each other. You're investing in each other. One of the most rewarding things about my role as an agent is being able to really invest in these long-term relationships with our represented artists and, you know, over the years develop really wonderful friendships and professional partnerships. And it's really incredible to have been a part of their lives for so long. Like, you know, Jeremy, for you, 10, 11, 12 years with some of them. And I think that the this investment in the artist really is what makes having formal re- representation of huge benefit if if that's what is interesting to you as an artist. And, you know, I love that we're really, that we're able to really get to know our artists and have a really intimate understanding of how they work so that we can work better for them and we can make really great decisions for them and we can be there in the trenches with them and be able to give them an incredible level of service because of that intimacy. Because I, I, I kind of think that that formal representation means that you're able your agent is able to represent you holistically and really with a long-term view in mind and you know nurturing an artist's career and thinking about how all the little decisions that happen along the way are benefiting their long-term goals and aspirations isn't really possible when you're just engaging with someone on a project by project basis. Yeah, B, those are some really great points over there. I think, you know, one of the most valuable things, you know, that that our artists are buying effectively when they work with us is, you know, this kind of big brain as well. And so one of the things that I always talk about is that so many of these things are, are so hard to actually kind of pin down because it's like, yeah, you when sometimes when you're working with the artists and you have that intimate relationship with them, and then you're talking to a client or a brief comes through and then you remember that kind of right reference of the thing that they kind of do or you're able to kind of synthesize these kind of new, you know, options like those things can't be automated. You know, there's there's no way it can come out any other way. And also, I think, yeah, like you said, the agent side of things is really kind of changing a bit as well. Like I'm working more and more with our artists like on their like really kind of on kind of standalone kind of goals as well, like in terms of like, yeah, like what is the client you want to work for? What is the work you want to do? What are the projects that you want to make? And actually trying to kind of pick those apart kind of over a longer term, because a lot of the agent role kind of previously has been very responsive in terms of you know, your fielding inquiries that come in, you go out and you market yourself and you hope that there's kind of interest. But I think especially, you know, the agent role is definitely different also depending on where you're at kind of in your career as well. And I think, yeah, we, you know, we provide a like a luxury service kind of in some ways. And so, you know, I've always tried to take that kind of luxury approach and now, you know, using it to make more kind of deliberate actions in terms of uncovering those opportunities and, and actually then using our money to then also kind of do, like just make those projects kind of happen. Like and not find the kind of, you know, not wait for a client, but actually mm. just kind of do it mm. ourselves in that way oh, too. And I think like A Thousand Colors, the puzzle that we collaborated on with Clemens Abicht is like such an incredible example of something like an opportunity and a project that we were able to work on together with one of our artists that has been incredibly successful. Laura? The last thing I just wanted to say was like one of the ways I've been thinking about it a lot in my own head is that you kind of have this, the one half of the, yes, these longer term 
invested relationships with the represented artists. And then on the other hand, you have this other service where we're really there, not so much as these, yeah, these full-time partners, whatever, but as this like encyclopedic sort of source of knowledge on production that they can tap into as they need it. It's like sort of looking in the dictionary when you need it from time to time versus like studying English for five years. I don't know. Like I think about this different level of and this different way of accessing that information that is right for different kinds of artists. And I just, to me, I see them sitting in harmony really beautifully. And I really hope that it it plays out that way. Excellent. Look, I think no matter how you kind of look at this, we're in such an interesting time with our industry, with the creative industries, especially. I mean, you know, every business is being not threatened, but definitely has to, is going to have to respond to automation and tech in kind of different ways. Funnily, you know, we we kind of did an impromptu open tabs event actually this morning at Creative Mornings, and um, Ellen Porsche is one of our artists who kind of does open tabs. Brought um, Jessica Hish's letter writer up before, and I hadn't seen it in a while. And I was like, and I, Jessica added some more stuff to it. I was like, oh my god, this is so good. This could put us out of business. You know, it's like, well, you know, if these things are kind of out there in that way, and I think, oh well, no, actually, this can, you know, this isn't a kind of a threat, but this is, you know really educating people more and everyone kind of like you said laura everyone kind of wants this knowledge they want to know how to price things they want to know how to be competitive they want to kind of grow their careers and i think representation as a model is a great you know it's a it's a very kind of human-centric thing which i kind of love but at the same time you know you know it can be kind of augmented with technology and i kind of think illustrators or image makers are not immune to the same challenges that photographers or videographers or motion graphics designers have had to deal with like in the past 10 years of intense disruption of technology, automating their, you know, their workflows or putting in the hands of other people and kind of driving prices down. So we're going to have to get really kind of creative in terms of how we deal with these things. So for us as an agency, I see this as a really exciting time to kind of explore now this kind of new side of things still being able to support our artists, create kind of a healthy industry, funnel our resources back into kind of education, educating clients as well, being of service to clients and service to our artists. And so, yeah, I guess watch this space. All right. I love all of that. I agree with you all. You're all wonderful people, but let's stop tooting our own horns. Jeremy, who do we have to thank? Oh, we have so many people to thank. I'd like to thank my agent. Yeah, seriously, there have been a lot of people that kind of helped us to get this out there. And I just thought I would just take a minute just to give some you know proper thank you. So first to Pete Brundle and James Sandry from PDA without them kind of taking that initial risk to kind of help explore kind of, you know, some of these ideas, we never would have kind of gotten anything where we are at the moment. A huge thank you to the entire BFF team that we've mentioned, Tim, Miranda, Jose, Jez, Lara, who's no longer there, but was an integral part of our research and has a great name. Yeah, not you. Anyway, <laughs> Lachlan Khan, the Jackie Winter artist who is responsible for all of our branding since day one, the the third Jackie Winter artist to kind of be signed. And, you know, he if you want to know, you know, who did our mural, who done our floor, who's done all the Jackie Winter stuff, it's Lachlan. He did the Corbett illustrations. Um, there's oh, many more to so kind of good. roll Please out. Go look at them. The entire Jackie Winter team, every producer here, every staff member here and in New York. I mean, this has been so many conversations on Slack, on Google Docs, so many kind of comments, so much input. This is really kind of something that has, you know, been, that is kind of a real synthesis of everyone's kind of experience in this way, not just the Jackie Winter team, but our artists and our clients, you know, who, you know, gave us feedback in the research and gave us kind of support for this idea. Yasmin from Media Arts Lawyers as well for kind of, you know, 
checking everything off and making sure it's all kind of above board. And look, if you're a freelance producer as well, or if you're getting into freelance production and you're interested or kind of want to be on the wait list for when we, you know, formally open up, you know, to represent more producers formally, because right now, we're, as I mentioned, we're bootstrapping it. We're the kind of producers at the moment, but we're all systems are kind of ready to go to kind of open that up. You can send us an email, which is just the info at Corvid. So that's um, corv.id. So info at Corvid. It's so weird to have to say the domain name out loud now. And now it's like, mm-hmm. I, I hope people can understand what it is. But yeah, send this email there. There's also a link on the site where you can kind of um, register your interest. And look, thank you so much for listening to us kind of wrap it on for the past hour. I really hope that you like what we've done. And yeah, thank you, Laura. Thank you, B, for your feedback. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, before we wind down for our little season break, we will finish up with our thumbs up, thumbs down, Shaka, the time we dedicate each week to get the good the bad now look i just actually want to say here i'm just going to kind of just take a bit of a detour here like some things we do here that i don't know if people kind of get so like you know yesterday when i sent the newsletter and you know i said oh hi mark i didn't see you there and as a reference to the room because i thought with like the disaster artist coming out everybody knows surely everyone knows what the room is now but everyone emailed us back and kind of said like you know you have me down in your database as mark and then i had to we had to explain the link but then also every episode here you know that we've done like, the past few seasons jeremy there's a long been a problem with you making references in instagram posts and newsletters and me having to then email people <laughs> to explain why you've written this but so, so there's always two things that we change in every episode as well we, we change the name of the recording studio and something i've been trying to do on the slide as well as i also try to ch- change what the shocker represents in mm-hmm. thumbs up thumbs down so and, but i just realized today as i was talking that i don't really have anything another kind of word so i just kind of i you know i just brought up thesaurus.com to try to bring up something but <laughs> i'm kind of running out of time here so anyway thumbs up thumbs down shaka the time we get dedicate each week to get the good the bad and the completely magnificent off of our chest Good Laura work. what do you got for us I've got a shaka for our end of season last night it's sort of a shaka because I was trying to work but last night my housemate introduced me to hey you this is like do you know what hey you is it's like the stand of Netflix for like reality tv and she has an account <laughs> oh, and so she logged into it on our smart tv and uh, we started watching life of Kylie and anyway after I finished my work at like 1 a.m and then I got into bed, my mind was racing because I was just like, I don't know, you've been working all day and then I just couldn't sleep. And so I was like, I'm going to watch something. And I went on to Hey You and they have fucking everything. There's like every Real Housewives, all of the spinoffs from Real Housewives, every episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and like Life of Kylie and all of that, Chloe and Lamar. And then there's like 16 and Pregnant and Dance Moms and they have all of the simple life. And oh my God, I'm just so excited to never leave my house ever again. What about you? What about you? You know what? My thumbs up this week is actually television related as well which is crazy because I never watch TV but it is the middle of winter here in New York my thumbs up and it kind of it's funny because it it was very much on the theme of agent mine is an endorsement for this French television uh, series on Netflix called call my agent and I am obsessed I've been through I think two and a half seasons now and it follows agents at this like top talent firm in Paris and it's incredible and terrible at the same time it's also very cool because the French are really cool it also it it means I because it's all subtitled I can't like watch it while doing something else so I'm fully present for this Uh, that's good amazingly terrible uh, tv show so I do highly recommend it if you like French drama 
I have a feeling it's on Hey You. <laughs> it probably is. Exciting, <laughs> uh, Jeremy. What about you? Was that two thumbs up? This is going to be a triple thumbs, thumbs up. No, shuck a thumbs up. Shuck a thumbs up. I can't give a thumbs down. I should give a thumbs down to round it up or some newsletter looks funny. But look, I have to give a thumbs up. And at the risk of kind of bringing this once again back to a full self-endorsement, I'm just going to give a thumbs up to Corvid. I just want to say, in case you didn't get it, I think it's really great. I think it's great what we've done. I'm really excited about it. And yeah, please, you know, we've got two other big things that we're kind of launching in the next kind of couple of months. So check our newsletter kind of for that. We'll be talking about them here. But yeah, thank you again for listening. Thanks for um, everything. And yeah, I I hope you like it. So I'm just going to end on that one. I'm Jeremy Wartzman. She's Laura Chan Baker. She's Bianca Bramham. And this has been Jackie Winder Gives You the Business, Corvid Edition. I mean, that is what it was. Our theme music is by Totally Unrelated to our company, Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on soundcloud.com slash Jackie Winter. If you want more JWGYTB archives of all of our shows and the links we've covered can be found at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz. To receive all the links we talk about on the show in one neat little package, you can sign up to our recently redesigned, semi-recently redesigned, always having bad and confusing references, that newsletter. Hey, it's looking damn snazzy, though. Looking great. It's at jwg.is slash newslettering. Again, at jwg.is slash newslettering. You can also find us mostly on Instagram at Jackie Winter. That's Jackie with a Y and Winter like the season. And you can hit us up with many... And you can hit us up with any recommendations, feedback, questions, or comments at podcast at JackieWinter.com. If you love what you hear, you can really help us out. Give us a review on iTunes. It really does help people find the show and find out more about what we do, which we love to share. Remember, this is an enhanced podcast. If you listen to this using Pocket Cast, Overcast, Castro, Apple Podcasts, you'll be able to see links to the articles as we're talking about them, as well as other visual content as we wrap it on. And if you work for an ad agency or design studio and are interested in our live extended version of the show called Open Tabs, be sure to check out opentabs.rodeo for more info. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you back in two to three weeks, depending on our mood and, you know, just how we're feeling in general. The moon cycles. Just like how the sun cycles, where the moon's at. But drop us drop us a line. Uh, we'd love to know if there's anything you want us to kind of cover in future episodes, guests you want to hear from, topics you want to talk about. We love getting your emails. We really do, you know, put the feedback into action. So send us a note, damn it. We want to hear from you. But otherwise... Jeremy's lonely. I'm, and I'm lonely. <laughs> otherwise, that's it. We will see you at some point in the future, but very soon. Okay, bye. So, no, I feel like my notes are good. I feel like everything is good, yeah. but yeah, like I'm just a bit scattered from everything. That, that sounds happened. crazy. One, two. Just well, a bird shot all over my couch, if that makes you feel better. Yeah, that does. <laughs> I knew it would. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesse was desperately trying to eat it. Yeah.